That didn't work at all. Let's have the theme tune. of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast this week coming to you from the Up the Creek Comedy Club in Greenwich. My name is Dan Schreiber and please welcome to the stage, it's the three regulars, Anna Chizinski, James Harkin and Andy Murray. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with you, James Harkin. Okay, my fact this week is that there is only a one in 800,000 chance that nobody will cough during this podcast recording. <laughs> <laughs> How are those odds looking now? <laughs> Yeah, so um, there's a recent study done, I saw this on the Improbable website, and it was by uh, Professor Andreas Wagner from the University of Hanover, and it was called Why Do People Not Cough in Concerts? The Economics of Concerts Etiquette. (laughs) And he basically found out the, the probability that a certain number of people would cough, and I kind of extrapolated his data into the number of people who are here tonight and got it completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I did hear genuine coughs. Right? There was one. Uh, no, we idea... put the idea in their minds now. Yeah. yeah. I have an unbearable urge to cough. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm very suggestible, but... This could really have spoiled the entire yeah. podcast, couldn't it? <laughs> So I I read a a different report that suggested that uh, people actively try to cough more when they go to classical concerts. Yeah. What? Yeah. They they find themselves just wanting to... Well, I knew it. That's so annoying. Why are they doing that all the time? I don't know. I mean... Hang on. You haven't looked into what their motivation is? I was kind of hoping one of you guys had. It was at the top of the Google search. I figured you guys would read it. Well, luckily enough, I did look into that. Um, (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, they, there's a few different thoughts. One is that you might be showing displeasure to the performance, uh, and you'll think it's a bit like, I'm not happy, I'm just going to cough. Yeah, a great bar, cello. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and the other thing is maybe, um, you are actively suppressing the idea that you're going to cough through most of it, and then suddenly you think, okay, this is a loud bit, I can finally cough, and you would do it then. Okay, people always do in the loud parts. Do they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, um, there's a guy called Robert R. Provine who writes amazing studies on sneezing and yawning and on coughing, and he does all these studies on sort of bits of the bits of human experience that don't get much scientific attention because they're not seen as important. And so he has studied lots and lots of people uh, about coughing, and he did an experiment. Uh, he asked people to cough. So on average, you can cough within 1.7 seconds if you're asked to. Um, <laughs> Whereas if you're asked to sneeze on demand, most people can't do it. And if they can, the average time is 8.1 seconds to sum it up a sneeze. Which I think is wow. amazing that anyone can do that. In eight seconds, it would take me ages to work up a sneeze. Yeah. yeah. I, I used yeah. to have a friend that could vomit on command. <laughs> it's true, it's true. Some people have this. And he would only need a tiny sip of something, and then he'd go, and just... Yak up onto the street. That's amazing. It what, was extraordinary. What does, could, he, what does he do these days? He's on Australia's Got Talent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, do you know that, uh, so talking of sneezing and coughing, a cough leaves your mouth at 50 miles an hour, okay. which is quite Whoa. fast. And I think it's, yeah, 3,000 droplets are expelled when you cough. So one mm. cough, 3,000 droplets are expelled. When you sneeze, it leaves your mouth at more than 200 miles an hour and more than 40,000 droplets are expelled from your mouth in one sneeze. Wow. How cool is that? Yeah, that's amazing. How, wait, how many miles an hour? Two hundred more than two hundred miles an hour for a sneeze, fifty for a cough. So it's way ahead. If you sneeze in a car that is going at eighty miles an hour, <laughs> <laughs> I suppose technically that sneeze is going at two hundred and eighty miles an hour. I feel like I need to explain <laughs> relativity to you. <laughs> no, I mean now I is not the time. <laughs> no. So people who are extremely bothered by coughing might have a thing called misophonia. Uh, which is basically, it's a kind of thing where you're really bothered by any kind of noise, but coughing is one of them. Chewing food is another one. Um, and, yeah. We've got a few misophones in tonight. <laughs> um, misophones, I think, is someone that sounds like a cough. <laughs> <laughs> there's, um, there's a 10 level scale of misophonia, uh, and you can go online and see which one you are. Uh, level five is when you cover your ears if someone's coughing or kind of chewing or whatever. Uh, level nine is consciously suppressing the desire to do harm to others. <laughs> and level ten is actual violence. <laughs> wow. Uh, level seven I found really interesting. Uh, it said in level seven there was a few different things, and one of them was there may be unwanted sexual arousal. <laughs> ah. I, read, I did read a wiki page about that called Coughing Fetish, where, yeah, it's an actual thing. It's an actual thing. And we are a growing group of people who demand <laughs> your respect, all right? No, it's so... Uh, but actually, it's a bit misleading uh, because coughing uh, fetish... Is, is not sexy. No. <laughs> it leads to... Uh, it leads to... It redirects to a page called Smoking Fetish, and it's the fetish of watching oh, people okay. smoke. Yeah. Well, speaking of getting turned on, you know when... <laughs> I think you have a new member of your group, Dan. <laughs> <clears throat> if I can introduce myself. <laughs> I'm actually okay, and I can promise I will never cough again in case Dan's nearby. Um, but, you know when someone has a cold, and, like, let's say you're going out with someone who has a cold, and they're like, well, that's disgusting, you've got a cold, I'm not going to come anywhere near you, so I'm not going to kiss you. Actually... There is almost 0% chance you're going to get infected um, from a cold by kissing someone. Right. Like, the really? only way you can get infected is if nasal mucus <laughs> dribbles down into your mouth during that. Well, exactly. You're not, you're not kissing that guy anyway. So, you can't. It's not an excuse. Is that okay? right? It's not an excuse. <laughs> but it's also not a reason for someone to kiss you just because you've got a cold. <laughs> um, the fish cough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've not got much on this. Uh, <laughs> that's the shortest fact ever. Is it's just two words? <laughs> yeah, nine letters. Yeah, uh, they sort of they have particles that clog up their gills, and so it's a half cough, half sneeze. It's not exactly a cough. There's but, an yeah. internet factoid that giraffes don't cough. Oh, oh yeah, um, I don't think that's true, is it? It isn't. I found a medical study of a giraffe that was coughing. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Would find the giraffe it know it was about to cough before a human knew they were about to cough because it's got further to go? Yeah, where most people can cough within like 1.2 seconds. <laughs> it's like three and a half minutes for a giraffe. Yeah. Um, but no, there was a giraffe with severe respiratory disease uh, who couldn't stop coughing uh, and ended up dying. But um, oh. 
death, death visits us all, ladies and gentlemen. So yeah. it would have died of something else. <laughs> James, I've lost them. <laughs> um, dolphins don't cough, do they? Really? Not? Mm. No. Do you have any more on that fact? <laughs> um, back to you, Andy. <laughs> m- m- mice cough, <laughs> which is the same length as fish cough. So I've got a joint shortest fact. But scientists have tested it by spraying them with little mists of um, uh, capsaicin, or capsaicin, which is the molecule which makes chili peppers spicy. So they made a mist out of it, and they sprayed a little bit of it um, at, the, at the mice, and then they had tiny microphones to listen. <laughs> yeah, because normally you can't hear mice coughing because it's such a small sound, so they needed extra sensitive microphones. But what, have they built a mouse-sized version of this in my hand? <laughs> the mice aren't holding the microphones. So. <laughs> There's a tiny mouse podcast somewhere. <laughs> Humans cough. <laughs> uh, um, we're going to have to move on to our next fact. Oh, no, oh, yeah, no, okay, get a few oh, more. Oh, my God. Um, so drinking cough syrup before um, a pie-eating championship can shave 1.2 seconds off the time it takes you to eat a pie. <laughs> Why? Um, it's, it kind of like numbs your throat and lubricates yeah. as well, both of those things. Yeah, and so there was a ban on what they called outside gravy um, <laughs> in the World Pie Eating Championships. Outside gravy, that's disgusting. Yeah, exactly. But it was, it was, uh, the World Pie Eating Championships is held in Wigan and they thought that people were coming in with this gravy that was mixed <laughs> with cough syrup. In 2009, Barry Rigby was the champion of the pie eating and this was the first year they brought in the new rule. Uh, and just the, they asked him what is the trick of being a great pie eater and he said I'm not giving too much away but the basic rule is bite swallow bite swallow <laughs> <laughs> okay time for fact number two and that is my fact my fact this week is that the Colosseum has recently banned centurions <laughs> Yeah, so basically, obviously, it's a massive tourist attraction now, the area. And like if you went somewhere like Hollywood, uh, they'll have Spider-Man and Superman dressed up there. That's the same thing with the Coliseum. You get people dressed up as Centurions, and they're sort of hassling the tourists. They're charging too much. They're just getting in the way. They're like a pest there now, basically, (laughs) uh, that they've said, you guys are banned. And so it's the big holy year next year. And so they want to clean it up before the holy year happens. And so centurions are no longer allowed at the Colosseum. The f- quote from the mayor is amazing because he said that they were inappropriate, insistent, and sometimes aggressive, <laughs> oh. considering they're dressed as men who, you know, conquered yeah. Europe. <laughs> <laughs> well, centurions, I mean, I think this is very well known, but I just want to make it clear how many people they tended to rule over. Okay, so it not is 100. quite weird, yeah, that they ruled over 80 people. There would be eight soldiers, and then there'd be ten blocks of eight, and that would be a centuria. And yeah. centurions rolled over them. But I like that two centurions, do you know what they were called? Yeah. By centurions? No, it was actually called a man nipple. <laughs> no. What? It's called or a man nipple. Uh, it depends on you. But let's, let's not mispronounce for comic effect. <laughs> Uh, yeah, manipul. A manipul is uh, two centuries of Roman soldiers, and it means literally a handful. It's from the same origin as manipulation, which is a handful. So they, they try because they keep they keep uh, for centurions getting into fights, um, and 
In 2013, this is just a story of the kind of scrapes they got into, uh, one of them attacked a tourist, and he fell over, the tourist fell over and broke a finger. And the tourist, uh, who was called Jose Asna, said that he had offered the centurion more cash, because that was the thing. They pose for a photo with you, and then they say, give us some money. They mm. say, give us five euros or ten euros, whatever. And he said he had offered the centurion more cash. But, quotes, when I offered extra dollars, he said, in Italy we blow our nose with dollars and called me a son of a bitch, a mafioso, and a cuckold. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a hard job being, um, being a living statue, isn't it? Mm. Uh, there was a guy, I read an interview with a guy called Paul Edmides, and he's a living statue. And he said that he's been spat on, prodded, pushed over, sniffed at by dogs... Um, perched on by pigeons. Wow. Um, wow. But he said that um, occasionally a dog would urinate on him. Uh, but he said he liked that because it was a sign that he was doing well. <laughs> 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 wow. But imagine going home after work and your wife goes, oh, how was your day? And you're like, it was great. I got pissed on by six dogs. <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there were the first arrests uh, uh, related to living statues in the UK in 2011. And it happened when... The Invisible King was convicted of assaulting the Silver Wizard. <laughs> and the king accused the wizard of stealing his spot, which was by the London Eye, prime turf. But the twist is, they were flatmates. <laughs> wow. Imagine that flat when they're watching TV. Are they working? Are they not working? <laughs> um, just, I was looking at uh, street performers. On living statues, and there's a street performer in Paris in 2013, a street performer in Paris called Stephen Cohen. And with his performance, he wanted to evoke his situation, which was being torn between two countries. So his native country was South Africa, and then it was France, where he currently lived. Um, and so what he did was he went to the Eiffel Tower and he was dressed like a bird and he was wearing a garter and tights and these long red gloves and no underwear or trousers and had tied a rooster to his penis and was being led around the Eiffel Tower by his penis by a rooster and that was his art and he was arrested for yeah. indecent exposure yeah sure I'm cool with that <laughs> he missed a chance to say it was being pulled around by his cock <laughs> Um, I looked through an online database of street performers. Oh, yeah. And I found, just I love these guys, they're called Whispering Trees, um, an absolute surefire shocker, brilliant, either side of an entrance, watch the queue jump. So they just dress as trees, stand really still, and then whisper at you as you go by. Oh, wow. wow. I also found Big Rory. Okay, and this is the exact entry on Big Rory in this database. Big Rory, the Scots giant with power presence and bagpipes. Dangerous, but safe. <laughs> It's funny, it's a job where you have to be slightly shit to do well. <laughs> That's true. There's no one pays statues money. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe Nelson on top of Nelson's column is a living statue. <laughs> He's been there for 200 years and not earned a penny. <laughs> and the world, they have a World Statue Championships in the Netherlands every year. Uh, and it was won by a Briton in 2009, oh. which is really exciting. A guy called Chris Clarkson of Southport. He does a lot of, um, of statue work, but before that he was an actor and he'd worked in A Touch of Frost and in Hollyoaks, uh, where presumably he was fired for having a bit too much expression. <laughs> <laughs> they asked him um, like, how to be a good statue and he said to stand in front of the television for an hour and a half without moving and then you'll get a feeling of what it's like. Because apparently it just really hurts. Like, standing still for long periods really, really hurts. Yeah. Especially if you're watching Hollyoaks. <laughs> 
an almost linking fact back to Roman legions yeah. and Roman soldiers, but also sort of on the street performances. Did you know that Bath is haunted by a, a naked Roman soldier? <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, I didn't know this either, but... <laughs> Um, it's the, apparently the apparition is said to be quite convincing and at one point a police officer in Bath mistook it for a genuine streaker and chased it down the street only to see it disappear into thin air so look out for that it's a naked Roman soldier and the question this article <laughs> asked which I think you're going to ask me now if he's naked how do you know he's a Roman soldier <laughs> <laughs> that is the question <laughs> Is he shouting, Veni, Vidi, Vici? <laughs> Sometimes you just know. That's so good. I didn't re- I've been reading a book about haunted bits of Britain by Derek Okora, and that's not in there. There's amazing places. Can I tell you my favorite place in there? I wrote it down. It's uh, Yeovil Railway Station's Buffet is haunted <laughs> by a sausage roll. <laughs> Um, so uh, just back to the Coliseum very quickly they had what was probably because obviously it was a huge arena and they had seating there was a seating plan as Mm -hmm. well and they had probably the most early version so far as I can read of uh, ticketing and the ticketing was done on pottery so you were given shards of pottery and they'd have chiseled into it your seat, uh, the, the row that you were in. Because mm. how many people could they sit in there? That was, it was uh, the... About 50,000? Yeah, that's a lot of pottery. That's, yeah. that's, it's, I mean, that's, that's just why amazing. you know when they find ancient Roman pottery, it's always in little bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah. Because it was all broken the up equivalent of One Direction's back in town. Oh, God, <laughs> just, <laughs> smash up these. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, time for fact number three, and that is Chosinski. Yeah, my fact this week is that from 1978 to 1991, tens of thousands of chicken heads were dropped from helicopters over Switzerland. Um, Okay, so... Yeah. Okay. Why? Tell us the story. Um, so this was because there'd been a rabies epidemic in Europe from uh, about the 1930s, I think, and foxes were infected with rabies and it was spreading. And I think it spread about 20 miles a year. So it was gradually encroaching and they didn't know how to get rid of it until they came up with this idea. Um, in Switzerland, a Swiss scientist came up with this idea of putting vaccines, rabies vaccines into chicken heads that were left over from slaughterhouses and then dropping them from helicopters over Switzerland, and then foxes eat the chicken heads, and they're immune from rabies. And right. I just think that's ingenious. Yeah, it's and amazing. it works. So lots of European countries took this on. Um, so I think Germany in the late 1980s said, okay, it's a bit weird and barbaric that you're doing this whole chicken head thing. So they manufactured just little fish pellets and dropped them instead with the oh. vaccine in, and it turned out that worked as well. Yeah. It's not as cool, though. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine being in a helicopter with a sack of chicken heads. <laughs> You'd feel like the king of the world. <laughs> but the worst thing is, oh, the king of the world is flying over us. I wonder what he's going to distribute. <laughs> but they did, they, before they worked out the chicken head thing, they did try other options of how to vaccinate foxes. And one of the things, it was called the vac trap. And it was basically the equivalent of a bear trap. So anything that stood on it would trigger a giant needle that would just go quang into them and inject them. And they had to stop because too many hikers kept walking along, (laughs) suddenly getting 
walloped by a needle. Well, and... did you see? But did you see that they actually didn't stop because of the hikers? Because they were concerned, the people who manufactured it, that that would be a problem. And you know, people are getting vaccinated against rabies they don't have when they're on a walk. And um, they set these traps on a. This is in the U.S. They did this. Yeah. They set these traps on a beach, which was a deserted beach, and they thought this is a good place to test out our vaccine. And it turned out that uh, the U.S. Navy was planning to use that deserted beach a few days later to, for a mock invasion as a training exercise for all of its soldiers. And so they, the people who'd set them offered to remove them, and officials argued that the hazards would serve as an additional measure of the invaders' prowess. <laughs> <laughs> so the, um, the rabies vaccine was invented by Louis Pasteur. Yeah. Uh, a, a few other people as well, but he's like the headline guy, really. <laughs> One of the things that he did in the lab is he would get some saliva from a rabid dog, uh, and then he would use that for his experiments. Um, but unlike everyone else who kind of used kind of gloves and, and I don't know, helmets or glasses or whatever <laughs> people use, he mm. just went straight in there and just went up to the rabid dog and just got the saliva out of there, right? Which is pretty brave, considering yeah. that if you got bitten... The protocol was to be shot immediately. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. If you got bit, you just got shot. That's fierce protocol. That is hardcore. Yeah, I, read that, hard. I read that he sucked the saliva from the mouth of a rabid dog, which was um, sort of uh, secured on a lab table, and he's it's supposedly using a pipette held in his mouth, yeah. which seems needlessly... <laughs> <laughs> it seems needlessly... Bravado-ish. It kind of feels like he's the Bear Grylls of his day yeah, doing unnecessary amazing. feats of apparent courage. Well, I have a fact about airdrops okay. um, and yeah. uh, animal airdrops. So um, wasps pick up ants when they're competing over food and drop them away from the food. <laughs> this is true. Uh, they, researchers observed this in the wild and then they tested it on, um, on a real situation. So they put out some tuna... They let some ants go and start eating the tuna, and then they let some. Wa- they released some wasps, and sometimes the ants will attack the wasp. And even though they're much smaller, they have you know they can spray formic acid and stuff. And so sometimes the wasps just pick up the ants, fly them away from the tuna, <laughs> drop them, and then go back to the wow. tuna. Imagine if you're amazing. flying around and just dropping ants anywhere you want to. You'd feel like king of the world. <laughs> <laughs> I regret Did... sharing my fantasy <laughs> with you. <laughs> it's possible that the ants could enjoy that, though, right? Because it's like Maybe. my meal was interrupted, but it was fun paragliding. <laughs> yeah, and ants are actually small enough. There's a certain size of animal that once you get small enough, you probably wouldn't die because your maximum velocity you can reach is not high enough to squish you. I think even mice you can drop from a really high height. Can and you? They're not they're, they're not heavy enough to hurt them properly. Okay. Wow. Horses, Please. on the other hand. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have a I have a chicken fact. Uh, yes, if we could go to chickens. Um, Pond Square in Highgate uh, in London is haunted by a half frozen chicken. <laughs> oh, I know whose chicken that is. Yes, this is a. Re- <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, so for a very long time, there's been a half-frozen chicken that's been haunting this pond, and uh, everyone has been sort of going, oh, there's a half-frozen chicken, and it turns out that the half-frozen chicken belonged to a man called Francis Bacon, who, if you remember, died when oh, yeah. he was experimenting on 
Wait, hang on. Which bit don't you believe when you're shaking your head? <laughs> First of all, he supposedly died of a chill after stuffing a chicken with um, snow, didn't he? But yes. I don't think that's true, first of all. <laughs> and then the rest of it, obviously, I don't think that's true either. But... Why would the chicken haunt Highgate, though? That's what <laughs> Francis Bacon might haunt Highgate, but the chicken was already dead, I think. <laughs> I know, it's a really odd situation. Uh, so chicken heads can help pro athletes, actually. Uh, there's, and this is real. There's a guy called... <laughs> Ouch. Wow. It's a terrible burn on everything we've heard so far. No, um, chicken heads can help pro athletes. There's a guy called Hans Wilhelm Müller Wolfart. Um, he was the doctor from Bayern Munich until quite recently when he got fired. Um, but he used to inject um, an extract of chicken heads into the the kind of tendons of athletes to help them. And there's a little bit of evidence that it might work. Uh, he treated Mike Lowen, Steven Gerrard, Usain Bolt, Paula Radcliffe, Bono. The five great athletes of our time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he got fired quite recently, and he is quite controversial. Um, he once prescribed goat's blood injections into um, a striker from a football team. Um, but because he's called Hans, he's known as Healing Hans. Ah. Yeah, but he is quite famous, actually. Do, oh, do yeah. you guys know about chucking? No. Okay, I'm glad. Apparently, this is a social media phenomenon where uh, you chuck, and that is, it's kind of like planking, but instead of like lying flat and impersonating a plank in front of the camera, you pretend to be a frozen chicken carcass in public. <laughs> do you have to <laughs> haunt Highgate? <laughs> You. you can actually do it anywhere. Uh, so all you have to do is um, take all of your clothes off and then crouch down and then have a photo taken of yourself and then a naked person crouched down in a fetal position sort of on their knees. Looks like a chicken, a chicken carcass. How does someone sat there naked look like a chicken so, yeah. any more than a centurion? <laughs> uh. <laughs> Good point. No, so, okay, so if you were, just very quickly, if you were going sort of profile and you were leaning on your knees and you were leaning over, a human in that position looks remarkably like a frozen chicken. So many mistakes on Christmas Day. Embarrassing. <laughs> um, can I, this fact uh, has the element of uh, talking about these, uh, these were dropped from helicopters. Oh, yeah. I started looking into helicopters slightly. Do you know that there's, there's a heli the world's biggest helicopter can carry, it's big enough that it can carry a plane. Wow. Yeah, isn't that incredible? No way. Do you wow. know when the earliest helicopter was? No. Uh, da Vinci supposedly had one, did he? He drew one. <laughs> he, he designed one, yes. Um, but it wasn't as early as the helicopter that was invented in 400 BC by the Chinese. What? Which, because officially, so this was, it was called the bamboo copter, apparently, which... Stresses me out. I think I might have mentioned on the podcast before that one of my favorite etymologies is helicopter because oh, yeah. it's the etymology is so unusually split up. So it's helicos, which is a spiral, and a pater, which you wouldn't expect to be a word on its own, which is like the wing. So by saying bamboo copter, they've stomped right in the middle of that yeah. word helicos. You should oh. never say anything copter, should you? It should be either pter, pter. or helico. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I feel your pain, Anna. Yeah, I've written... I've, <laughs> written a strongly worded letter to ancient Chinese emperors. <laughs> you know, a, a very popular escape from prison is via helicopter. I mean, popular. <laughs> Define popular. It seems to be... So uh, people actually do it more often than you would think. France <laughs> holds the record for most prison escapes via helicopter. 
uh, and it, that's 11, so actually not as much as I was, uh, as I was saying earlier. God, I but, mean, it's, it's epidemic proportions. <laughs> but there's a guy with the world record for most helicopter escapes from prison, uh, which is three. He escaped in 2001, 2003, 2007, and at no point did someone go, we should watch out for this guy every time he goes into the yard. I say let's put a roof on David's cell. <laughs> I say we should. Okay, time for our final fact, and that is Andrew Hunter-Murray. My fact is that in 2015, a 10-year study concluded that punching glass is very dangerous. (laughs) Wasn't the only thing they found out, but it was pretty much the headline. (laughs) There was a study by a group of Australian doctors, and they concluded in about July this year. They measured everyone who came into a particular hospital from 2003 to 2012, collected lots of data... And um, they said that it is really, really dangerous to punch glass. And they found out other things. They found out that the typical patient who punches glass is a 26-year-old single male who is unemployed and intoxicated. (laughs) (laughs) Of the um, 137 people that they found who punched glass, 113 were men. Uh, 122 were single. Uh, 95 were unemployed. And 91 were drunk. Wow. And, and they, yeah. th- they had one conclusion as well, which is to, how to deal with this thing. Preventing young, intoxicated males from aiming punches at glass is a difficult task. <laughs> and perhaps the only rational method, although costly, is to replace all glass within <laughs> arm's reach with safety glass. <laughs> no more glass for you! <laughs> That's amazing. I think it might be cheaper to replace all drunk men with sober <laughs> men. <laughs> this was in Australia, but there was another yeah. study in uh, Sunderland. Uh, and <sighs> there were only 67 patients in this one, uh, but it was in Sunderland. And so they... <laughs> England's Australia. <laughs> <laughs> well, they found that all of the people had consumed alcohol. <laughs> But it's so it's dangerous. Why is it dangerous? Well, Anna, um, <laughs> because you can mess your hand up real bad. I mean, they, like the glass breaks and then a glass gets into your cuts. I just wondered cu- if there are any more complex conclusions in that your hand. So it was just that people that. got injured a lot. Yeah, but yeah. people say that because um, I punt, I I put my hand through a window once, um, but I wasn't even. Drunk. You were you were drunk and twenty six and male at the time. <laughs> I actually wasn't any of those things. <laughs> but I remembered the fact that I was about 15 and I remembered that people had said that the time people most get injured is when they retract their arm, when they've broken glass, because that's when it like slices up against you. And so I oh. held my hand suspended out of the window and I was in my family home and I was like, Daddy, <laughs> <laughs> what do I do now? Wow. Um, but what I think that do? is true. Uh, well, I held my arm there it, through the hole in the glass until my dad came upstairs and went, you can pull your hand out of the glass now. Right. Wow. Yeah, and it was absolutely Amazing fine. that you would have that presence of mind to think, I remember reading a paper about this yeah. <laughs> And thus was a QI researcher born. Um, I I was researching uh, great bits of glass uh, just to see... (laughs) Just to see what was considered to be... And thus was a great QI researcher not born. (laughs) Yeah, so I was was looking into great bits of glass and then I came across um, a whole sort of... Did you mean great bits of glass to stand on? And so I started reading... (laughs) into great bits of glass to stand on. Now, 
One of the best bits of glass to stand on, uh, and it's not a type of glass, but it's, it's an achievement if you ever get to stand on this. Um, there's actually, at the bottom of the International Space Station, so I, I know in, in a gravityless place there can't really be a bottom, but it's the bit that's facing Earth. They actually have a glass floor that you can stand on. No. So, yeah, so, so you push yourself up to it, and there's photos of astronauts looking down so they can see all of Earth below their feet, Whoa. which is really nice. I'd not heard that before as an international that's space station. Yeah. And it reminded me uh, that in uh, the Grand Canyon, you can actually go on a thing yeah, called the yeah. Skywalk now, which is, which is really amazing. So it's this incredible uh, bit that hangs over the Grand Canyon. It's complete glass. And you just look down as you're looking over. When they opened it, they wanted some spectacular people to walk on it. And they found, they asked Buzz Aldrin, would you be uh, one of the two first people to do it? And there was another astronaut there. Uh, a guy who's the only Native American astronaut, part Native American astronaut. Oh, don't tell me that Buzz was the second person. They were meant to meet up at the middle, and Buzz stopped to do a salute, and the guy got there first. So he's the second, (laughs) once again, the second man to make it Uh, to something. On punching, Yeah, yeah. um, so recent research has just been done into um, the human fist. And there is a suggestion, and one scientist strongly believes, on the basis of this research, that the human fist was evolved for punching. So we think that humans are superior to, you know, all other beings because we evolved with our dexterous hands for writing or for whatever. We actually evolved to beat each other up. And it turns out we're much more well adapted. Our fists, the fact that they fit, our fingers fit so well into the palm of our hands, that really yeah. is ideal for punch-ups. So the which idea is, what we're is into. that um, an opposable thumb you could use to grab something yeah. But you can also use it to kind of buttress your fist exactly. to kind of properly hit someone, right? Hold it down. And um, nature's being defensive as well as aggressive because apparently males have evolved to be punched. Before you go any further, <laughs> I have not. <laughs> your face says otherwise. I mean. <laughs> Whoa, Whoa, some woes over here, but some applause over there. <laughs> Do you know that the world record most punches, um, quickest punches, this is ridiculous, by the way, but the most punches in 15 seconds is 200. No way! Yeah, what? isn't that amazing? It's a guy called Bhaskar Joshi. He's a martial arts expert from India, and he managed to do 215 seconds. What was How he many? hitting? I think he was hitting like... Uh, 200 guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, he was hitting a punch bag, I think. But right. um, do you know there's a robot that they've trained to punch humans? <laughs> Why? Why would you do that? We've all seen Terminator 2. We know the risks. <laughs> this is uh, Fraunhofer IFF Institute in Germany. And they've invented a robot that punches people. And the idea is that you can test um, how hard it has to hit a human before it hurts. Oh, wow. These guys, are, these guys are idiots, and they're going to be the first against the wall when the robot turns. <laughs> they have, like, an, in, an ultrasound scanner that can tell whether you're bruising or not before you actually bruise. And the idea, according to them, is that it's going to stop in the future from humans being injured by robots. What? So, so we're, it's we're not. prepping for it's robot <laughs> warfare. That's amazing. You know, you know they also, uh, when you donate your body to science, and you, you can read up now on how many different ways they sort of take you apart and use different bits for different things. One of the things is that they'll take your arm now and just have it punching a punching bag constantly to see 
why we punch. Wow, that's right. amazing. There's another one where you can become like a crash test dummy, can't you? Yeah. Because um, a normal crash test dummy is quite hard to get a real... You can't make it really like a human, but if you put a human in there and then see how they react to being in a crash, then that really, really does help science. The, there's I an think amaz- that's so cool. It's so, like the mo- if you've never done anything badass in your actual life, <laughs> I think saying, writing on your donor card at the bottom, please preference for crash test dummy, yeah. Yeah. is the way to go. I would like my head to be thrown out of a helicopter. <laughs> Okay, that's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to get in contact with any of us about the things we've said over the course of this podcast, we could be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland. James? At Eggshaped. Andy? At Andrew Hunter M. Jasinski? You can email podcast.qi.com. Uh, yeah, or you can go to no such thing as a fish.com. That's our website where we have all of our previous episodes, and we will be back again next week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here, guys. Goodbye. Woo!